Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to read the lesson again here from 1 John 4. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is so also as he is so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. In our lesson tonight from 1 John, God tells us about perfect love. And this word perfect comes from a Greek word, teleao, which is, uh, carries with it a number of connotations. The same word is used to describe completion or the fulfillment of time or like an end goal being met. So what does it mean for God's love to be perfected in us? Does it mean that we are just simply perfect at showing love for others? Many would say, yeah, yeah, absolutely. True Christians must love others and they, they show their love for others by their actions and by their disposition toward others. True Christians are friendly They don't judge others. They're always kind. And many such other attributes are reserved for the true Christian. But as you may recall from the previous homilies on 1 John 4, love is not open to reinterpretation by worldly standards. Love has been defined once and for all by the objective work of Jesus Christ on the cross where he served as a propitiation for your sins and for the sins of the whole world. So love has been defined not merely as a behavior, but as a disposition. Specifically, it's the disposition that God the Father has toward all humans, that he loves us so that he gives his son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Familiar to all of us. John 3, 16. It means something. It means something. It means that that is God's love is, is expressed in Jesus Christ dying on the cross. Dying for your sins as a propitiation for your sins. So love is defined. It's not this sort of nebulous thing of, you know, feel goodiness or whatever that the world tries to define it as. So in Christ, God's love has been perfected in you, or we could say God's love has reached its end goal in you. The end goal of justifying you by faith. That's the end goal of God's love. That's what it means for God's love to have been perfected in you is that 
you by faith confess that Jesus Christ died for your sins as a propitiation for your sins, and you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. That is for God's love to be perfected in you. Now, that doesn't, that doesn't equate directly to how you behave toward others. But of course, it does have an impact. But it's not a direct thing. So we, we can't turn this into like a new law. You know, that's, that's the issue that we don't want to get into. No, this is uh, God's love reaching its end goal in you is that you have, by faith, put your trust in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And that's why there is no fear in love or fear of God's wrath. Really, think about it. Fear of his wrath is foreign to a believer. That is a foreign concept. When his great love for us has been perfected, or in other words, when we have received Christ in faith, we no longer see God as the wrathful avenger of sin, not as far as we're concerned. If we saw him that way, we would be afraid indeed. But we see him now as our loving heavenly father. When his love for us is seen by the eyes of faith and his word of promise is heard by the ears of faith, we know him as he is as he truly is, as our loving Father. As we read, as Ronnie read in our Romans passage tonight, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Sons of God. Think about that. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Abba is like saying, Daddy, it's a term of endearment. It's, a, it's an intimate term. And this was shocking when Jesus uh, said this, you know, that, that, we, that we cry out to him, you know, that we can cry out to him this way, that we can call out to him as daddy to, to the Jews. I mean, think about it. They didn't even have a name for God. They had Yahweh, there's I am. They didn't even have a name for God. So for them to be told, you know, you can call out to him, Abba, Father, Daddy. That's, that's shocking. But that's what, we, that's what we know. That's the love that we have, that we see from God is the love for us. His disposition is toward us is favorable. It's gracious, merciful. <clears throat> so it's not a fear of his condemnation but it's only trust in his graciousness and his mercy. So in Christ, we're bold. I mean, we're bold to live our life without fear of condemnation. It's not that we deny that God is wrathful and that there's justice. I mean, that there is a uh, justified wrath that he pours out. That's not it at all. It's just that for the believer, that's not our God. I mean, that, that's not how God relates to us. He's not wrathful and, and he's loving and forgiving of sins to those who have received the Savior. And that's what, 
John is saying in this epistle. So when he talks about perfect love, he's not saying you as believers now must love each other perfectly. Although there is instruction on that, but that's not the main point he's saying. He's saying that God's love is perfected in you when it has brought about saving faith. When, when saving faith is, is, is operative in you, God's love is perfected. Anyway, we don't fear condemnation. Sure, the world around us might condemn us, but that's nothing compared to the promise of everlasting and joyous life with the Father. Now, it's also correct, of course, to say that the conversion of faith from death to life, from darkness to light, from unbelief to belief, has an impact on our heart. Of course it does. We're free from the debt of sin. We no longer must strive to do, to work, to labor for God's affection. No way. We're free to lovingly serve one another. And maybe you struggle with that, with lovingly serving others. It's possible. I want you to listen to the words of our post-communion collect. You know, there's, in your hymnal, you'll see there's three prayers at the end of divine service too. And um, the first prayer, I, I rotate them. Like I kind of rotate each, each week. That first prayer was written by Martin Luther. And I want to read that to you. We give, this is the prayer that follows the sacrament. We give thanks to you, almighty God, that you have refreshed us through this salutary gift. And we implore you that of your mercy, you would strengthen us through the same in faith toward you and in fervent love toward one another. This prayer following the sacrament of the altar, um, I think, says it well. The objective receiving of Christ in the body and blood of the sacrament works to strengthen our faith toward God. And our prayer is that it would also strengthen our love toward one another, especially as we're gathered around this sacrament. We are united in a way no other human beings are united. When I say we, I mean believers. Believers are united to each other in a way you are not united to any other human being, past, present, or future. You are united. You are connected in this sacrament that we receive. We're connected to Christ, and we're connected to all Christians from all time, past, present, and future. It's pretty wild when you think about that. This is the church. You know, I, don't get me started on this. The church is shrinking. As I've said a million times, the church is never shrinking. It is only and always growing because even as people die, they don't leave the church. <laughs> they, they join the church triumphant. Anyway, if you struggle with, the, with this lovingness, loving each other, you know, if you struggle with that at all, don't be discouraged. Don't look at this statement from John as a new law that needs to be followed so that you can measure up to God's standards. That's not the way he meant it. It's not that you have to love perfectly so that you can gain God's affection. 
Not at all. <laughs> God's affection is there. God is, loves you dearly. God has shown you love in Christ Jesus. It's objective. It's the love in the, that, that Jesus showed on the cross. It is the propitiation for your sins. That is the love of God. And you know that love. But see, that's the thing. You know that love of God. And you've received that love from God. So you can pray. God, we implore you that of your mercy, you would strengthen us in faith toward you and in fervent love toward one another. Why would Martin Luther even write this prayer? Like, why would he even pray this if it wasn't an issue that sinful human beings within the church struggle with? Loving each other, you know? If that wasn't an issue, he wouldn't have even written this prayer. But it is an issue. And so we pray, God, help us. I have a final thing I want you to consider. We love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. In other words, it was not the loveliness of you and me that caused God to love us. I mean, I know that in my case. I know that. Yeah, it was not that I was such a good person that he said, oh, gee, he's such a great person. I'm going to die for him. No, it was a preemptive love. In the same way, we are to love one another, not because we are all lovely people, but because of who God is and because we have his spirit within us. We don't look at our, our brothers and sisters in the faith and love based on who they are in this world uh, apart from being a Christian. But that love is objective too. That love is that, you know, we might not be uh, here within this congregation. We not, might not all be. We might not be all uh, libertarians or uh, Green Party or whatever. We might not be, we not, might not all be um, uh, Redskins fans, you know, or we might not all like basketball or we might not all like gardening. And some of us might sing better than others. And some of us might, uh, you know, be, uh, um, you know, thoughtless sometimes. And some of us might be, um, you name it. I mean, whatever, whatever the issue might be, right? But that's not what unifies us. We're not united in that. What unifies us is the objective work of Christ. That's what we are united in. And so we share love for each other on that basis, on the basis of that. <clears throat> and remember that it's not, it's not your own love that you have to give. It's the love of God. It's, it's God's love in you. And that's the love that we share with one another. This is what perfect love is. It's, it's, not, it's not to be seen in the way that we treat each other. In spite of the popular song, they will know that we are Christians by our love. 
No. They'll know, <laughs> they'll know that they are loved because that's who God is. And in Christ, God has shown his love. That's how they'll know that we're Christians, because we confess Christ. That's what perfect love is. It's the love that God has shown us in Christ. I hope that that is encouraging. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen.